Let me say a quick word of prayer as well. <clears throat> and Lord, I pray the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, subtle, subtle title there. Stop lying. I got to be really careful not to catch anyone's eye this morning. But for those of you who want to learn about speech, you look over the top of everyone's head, and then everybody feels like you're looking at them. Uh, why am I, Why do I uh, feel I needed to do this sermon? Because a lot of people in this church lie. They lie. Their life is a lie. Um, and you say, oh, he's doing this because someone talked to him about me. You and a whole bunch of other people. I don't think everybody in this church has a lying problem, but there is a lying problem. If anybody would agree with that, and they're not going to lie about agreeing with that, if anybody would agree that there is a lying problem in our church, I would like to hear an amen. What? Amen. Are you just saying amen to be polite? If there's a lying problem in our church that you know about, not hypothetical, real lies, say amen. Amen. Okay, so it's established that this sermon needs to be uh, preached. Um, and the the miraculous thing about the Jason thing this morning, you're like, well, why wouldn't Jason know? He's like the organizer, and Tad probably told him six months ago he was going to teach in this. No, God downloaded this in my brain this morning. And so, seriously, and it came so fast and furious that it was, anyway, and it's to address a real problem in our church, and uh, we are, have started to do reviews of each other's teaching, and uh, somebody told me this morning, uh, a couple guys, Ted, you're at your best when you're just working through a passage, and I'm like, well, sorry, this morning I'm not just working through a passage, I'm going to be skimming over um, Scripture. Because lying is a serious, serious issue, and if it has played a major part in your life, you are in demonic bondage. If lying is a regular part of your life, and it's part of your identity, and it's a part of your history, you today, right now, are still in demonic bondage. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm saying you are ensnared, and you're not free. So, what am I saying? What am, what am I talking about lying? Primarily, using words to intentionally mislead people. You use your words to intentionally mislead people. Tim said, are you going to talk about white lies, little white lies? There are no little white lies. There are no little white lies. And uh, I didn't like Jason. I love Jason's teaching. He's really be getting better and better and better at teaching. I didn't like your example. It's not the devil's playground. This isn't play. Sorry, I love you. But it's not. A, it's his torture chamber. So you think, oh, I'll go play. I'll go sit on the seesaw with the devil. What's so bad about that? I'll let him push me on the swings. No, how about you let him, you know, cut your fingers off joint by joint and, and disembowel you like, you know, in, in uh, Braveheart. You know, that's more what we're talking about when we're playing with the devil. It's not a playground. It's a torture chamber. And he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. What does James say? When sin has, you know, run its course, what happens? It leads to death. Things die. There are no little white lies. When you're messing around with lies, you are... You are in partnership with the devil. So 
using your words to intentionally mislead people. And sometimes it's not using any words at all and letting people believe things about you that you need, you know need to be straightened out with your words. But if you want the Holy Spirit to move in your life powerfully, become people of truth. So one thing I want to clear up before we get going here, is there ever a time lying is okay? Because someone will say, hey, I uh, lie on my taxes, but it's okay because the uh, Jewish uh, midwives lied to Pharaoh. And Rahab the prostitute lied about the Jewish um, spies. And so uh, I can cheat on my taxes and I can lie to my landlord and I can lie to my parents. And, and so, um, yeah, there's two clear-cut cases in the Bible where people use their words to intentionally mislead people. And I would say, I think you're on pretty safe ground if you qualify and you have the same variables in place. The great commonality between these two situations is this. Yes, when someone might die if you don't, as in be murdered. Anything short of that, the Egyptian midwives, the Pharaoh said, uh, and you can study this out. I got too many scriptures. Take notes, study it out for yourself. Two clear-cut times where people lie and they're praised for lying. There's, a, there's something in theological history, it's called the, the doctrine of accommodation, which means when you have no good options, you have two bad options, lying or the mass murder of innocent children, like in the Holocaust, Corrie ten Boom and, and those like her, they would lie to the Nazis about hiding Jews in their house, houses. Why? Because there's murder or... So anyway... This isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about you saving face, you getting ahead, you getting the promotion, you, you know, making yourself look better than you are. No, that is totally off limits. If you ever get in a situation where somebody says, hey, are the Christians in your house? Uh, because uh, in, in the, if you go to Africa much, this is not, um, this is not beyond, it'll probably happen within the next several years. Are there Christians? Uh, in this place? No, there's not. Why? Because we got a mob with machetes and we're going to hack them to death if they're in here or, or people from this tribe or whatever. So in both of these cases, these people are going to be murdered. There's going to be murder. So it's a doctrine of accommodation. No good options, but the more loving option would be to... But anything short of that, nobody in here has faced that issue. I don't think. I mean, maybe the Alungas, they've been through some horrible stuff. Maybe they've had to lie to save people's lives. But most of you guys, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about foolish things, little things. So now that that's off the table, let's get on to what the Bible says about it. Uh, in the first place, it's one of the big 10. These are just reasons why you shouldn't lie. There are certain things that when God makes a covenant with humanity, there are certain things he'll put in that covenant that have to do with, if you do these things, creation is unraveled. Do you understand that? God, if God makes an arrangement with you, if he made a million covenants with human beings, he's only made two that we're aware of, the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, no, he's made more than that. But I mean, generally speaking, these are the ones that we, we focus on. He's made two major covenants with human beings. But there's there's... Honestly, nine things, because one of the Ten Commandments isn't even repeated in the New Testament. It's a Sabbath, which I think is taken to a spiritual principle level, but that's not worth going off on here. 
But there's several things in the Ten Commandments that if you do them, it unravels creation. And lying is one of them. So where do we find the Big Ten for the first time? What? Come on, anybody know? All the front row. Yeah, of course, all the A students sit on the front row. Anybody in the back know where, where we find? Yeah, Exodus 20. You guys got to know your Bibles. So let's look at what it says. Okay, and the Ten Commandments, <laughs> the, the first uh, several have to do with God, and then the, the final six have to do with your relationships with people. Honor your father and mother. And I always thought these go in, in level of severity. They really seem to, but I'm like, why does honor your father and mother had a murder? But that's another sermon for another day. Uh, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Oh, good. I can commit fornication. I just can't commit adultery. Oh, good. I can watch pornography. I just can't commit adultery. No, it's these are categories. And that becomes clear throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, be chaste sexually. Um, Jesus expounds on murder. Yes, it says don't commit murder, but you're not supposed to hate either because hatred is a spirit of murder. So these aren't, you know, we're not Pharisees, nitpicking, straining out gnats, swallowing camels. These are categories of things. Hatred and, hatred and murder, stop it. Sexual immorality, stop it. Why? It unravels creation. And the devil says, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Uh, I, I don't want to get off on another sermon, but if we got a spiritual hound dog on the case and looked at most of your deepest pain in this room, a lot of it, maybe 75% of it, has to do with the misuse of sexuality. Can I get an amen? amen? It's true. Your biggest regrets, your biggest shame, your biggest heartache, your biggest sources of confusion. It's So don't murder, don't do it. Unravels creation. Sexual morality, don't do it. It unravels cre uh, creation. Don't steal. It unravels creation. So if God had a million covenants with humanity, he would always incorporate those things that unravel creation. And he says, you shall not bear false witness to your neighbor or against your neighbor. He's not against your neighbor. But what he's talking about here is being honest, being authentic. Um, Psalm 51, God desires truth in the innermost being. So the thing that was weird about, yeah, Jason, he said, what are you preaching all day? I said, lying. And he's like, really? That's what God put on my heart, being real. These are the kind of sermons that make people feel called to another church. What do you think, honey? Um, uh, yeah, I, I really think the Happy Valley Community Church, um, I, I really feel called there after this sermon today. Uh, no, why don't you feel called to become a person of truth? And uh, once you sort that out, figure out if you're supposed to go to Happy Valley Community. Because if you're supposed to, then go. But if you leave here because you don't like the pressure, um, and this church, this church is really great, and we do see miracles, but we would see so much more if everybody would get really serious about this truth thing. So this is the Ten Commandments, but he clears up through the rest of Scripture, like in Leviticus 19, you shall not steal, deal falsely, or lie to one another. So, okay, I can just make sure that if I'm testifying in court of law, I don't lie. But other than that, man, it's fair game. No, it's this category of honesty. In the New Testament, it's very clear, but even in the Old Testament, um, it's in the Big Ten because your lies unravel God's creation. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even put examples here. I could talk all day long. Let's not tell the kids what really happened. 
Let's make up some story. Let's not tell little Bobby that he's the result of adultery or he actually belongs to your sister and we just took him in because let's just come up with, let's give some better story. Does anyone know of a situation like that turning out well? In this whole room, when you lie to little Bobby, our little, I want to say Susie, but that's my wife, about their history. When they get 18, 19, 20 years old and they find out what was really up, that turns out just fine. It goes off like an atomic blast. Body parts everywhere. Relationships everywhere. Truth would have been a much better route to take. I have so many examples of this from counseling. I'm getting a lot of amens from people that do ministry. Don't lie. This is interesting that this chapter is part of that little axiom in the New Testament that Jesus says, on this hangs everything God ever said, that this is where it comes from, this Leviticus passage. Love your neighbors yourself. Part of that is stop lying. Yes, it's hard. It's hard to tell somebody, to confront them about sin. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's hard to admit when you failed. Tell people where you can't. It's hard. It's never comfortable. It's humiliating. Do it. Uh, I've been doing a lot of self-assessment lately. Keep saying that. Yeah, because I'm doing a lot of it. I've had, a, I've had a wonderful life. I just have. And it's been amazing. Um, I don't think I'm any less fired up now than I was when I was 18, 19 years old. Uh, I started to see a lot of miracles then. I still see a lot of miracles. It's just a regular part of my life. Miracles, leading people to Christ, crazy answers to prayer. Um, and uh, I've, been, I've been thinking, why? I'm not the only person who experiences that, but honestly, those kind of people are rare. We have, we have a handful of them in the church. It's not everybody. But I mean, we've got a higher percentage than most churches. We've got some real amazing people in this church that are starting to see stuff. So what's, what, are the, what are the keys? Well, I, I, when I thought it through, uh, I, spend, I give God the first and best of every day. Sometimes I screw up, yeah, but the majority of the days of my week, he's got the cream of my time, and it's significant time. I'm not, you know, yelling at people, shoving a McMuffin in my mouth and fiddling with the radio while I'm having my prayer time. I'm giving God my best time. Usually sometime around four or five o'clock, I'll wake up, seek the Lord. I'm serious about his word, and I try to tell the truth. And, and I sometimes hate having to tell the truth. And I always surround myself with people that I tell the truth to. And I don't want to get caught and then tell the truth, because then people don't believe that you're really telling the truth. I really try to stay open and honest about who I, who I am and what I struggle with. And the people who are closest to me know what I struggle with, and they know it will kill me. If, if I go off the rails, they know it's going to do it. And I'm having them pray for me. They're in my life, but I'm just keeping it all on the table. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about all these pastors that are wiping out all over the place. Inevitably, they're lying. Inevitably, they're lying. They don't have that group of people that they're just putting it out there on the table. So uh, it's in the Big Ten. Let's, we got to make tracks. God hates lying. Hates it. He, I mean, well, that's an interesting way of putting it. But should we really say he hates it? Uh, 
And then it just made me think of a scripture verse. I taught this to my kids when they were little. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that's called pride. It's the queen mother, mother of all sin. Haughty eyes, but then here it is next. A lying tongue. Somebody who intentionally misleads others with their words. Hates it. God hates it. Why? Because it dismantles. I don't care what our excuse is. It unravels his creation. And it welcomes Satan into situations. Hands that shed innocent blood. Lying, he puts it above murder there. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that runs rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. I thought you said this was seven things. Well, God hates it so much and he mentions it twice. Is it, look at that. There's seven things. You know, what have I said? There's seven things that Tad hates, and I list something. And uh, what should I say that I hate? I don't want to offend somebody. What's something that, you know, I could, something that's not going to offend it. It's a Mediterranean cuisine or something. I don't hate it. But I go through this list, and I said, I hate Mediterranean cuisine, and I hate this and this and this, and I hate Mediterranean cuisine. You're like, wow, he really hates that. He mentioned it twice. In this list of seven things, God mentions a person that uses their words to intentionally mislead people. It is not a small thing. It's in the Big Ten, and God hates it. What else do we got here? God's name is truth. It's funny. I never know. I never knew when I was like, going to get hit with emotion. I don't know why I got hit with emotion right there. God's name is truth. So, I did truly finish this last book. It's just going to be sent back to me, and they're making sure everything's in order, et cetera. And of course, it's on Exodus 34, 6, because this is the God paradigm for the entire Bible. And while I'm writing this book, I'm banging heads with these hoity-toity theologians that write all the books, and I'm just like, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're doing philosophy. This is what God said about himself. They're just wrong. And I mean, we have a good relationship and I'm going to see him in heaven. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, he's wrong, right? He says, yeah, this guy was wrong. He's wrong. But I loved him and he was a really kind guy and, you know, and he helped some people. But I said this description of myself for a reason because that's what I wanted you guys to run with. What did God say? When Moses got, I like to call it the Derekim, the ways, the ways of God. God passed by. He said, let me know your ways. And God says, I'm going to tell you my name. He said, let me see your glory. This becomes the central description of God in the Bible. He said, God passed by him and proclaimed, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, God, El, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And I like to say faithfulness because there's, there's kind of a dual idea in this last word in Hebrew, emet. And you can also, add, there's a feminine form, emuna. But anyway, I like to say faithfulness, which means I like to tell people God is always like this and he will never change. But it means God corresponds to reality. And when he speaks words, those words correspond to reality. And a lie does not correspond to reality. So you can translate it truth. You'll always see me translate emmet usually as faithfulness because I'm trying to make a point when I'm teaching. But a lot of, a lot of your Bibles will have truth there. And then when, when you go to the Greek of the New Testament, they will, they will 
they use a word that corresponds more to truth when they, anyway, forget it. That's all linguistic stuff. Um, but God is, that's his name. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. So let's go through the Trinity. Okay, Yahweh, he's truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What's the Holy Spirit called in the same chapter? I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another helper. He'll be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. God has a bunch of names. Jesus has a bunch of names. The Holy Spirit has a bunch of names. The Father has a bunch of names. But all of them, one of their names is truth. We have to speak in ways that correspond to reality. That's how we're going to be free. And if we're speaking lies, we are not in the devil's playground. Sorry, I, I don't mean to pick on Jason. He, what he said was, we're in his torture chamber, and it's going to get worse, and things are going to blow up, and things are going to die. But it's his name. God's name is truth. Because this Derek King thing, this, I like, also like to call it the long name of God. Because in Hebrew, the word Lord that you hear thousands of times in the Old Testament What's our best estimation of what the word is? Yahweh, Yahweh. It means he is, and he is dot, 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 and then God will fill it out. He is a strong tower. He is my light. He is my righteousness. He is my banner. Well, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, this is my covenant named all generations. But this is what he tells Moses. He is a God of compassion and grace, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness or truth. It's his name. Um, it points to the essence of what he is and who he is. Uh, what else? God's name is truth. Grace <clears throat> moves. God's grace moves where there's truth. Lies clog it up. If you feel like grace isn't flowing in your life, maybe there's a log jam. And for a lot of people, it's a bunch of lies. You got to break that log jam. It's going to be painful. You got to break that log jam up. In the Bible, that's called repentance. In the book of James, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. How many revivals in history began? There's a lot of things that are called revival, but if you study the real revivals that transform lives and then transform culture, they're not all about who's prophesying and who's falling on the ground and, and what kind of signs and wonders are going on. It's about who's getting their life purged and purified so the Holy Spirit can fill them. That's really God's objective. So they can be like Jesus. It usually begins with a bunch of truth coming out. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm the elder of this church. I've never even been born again. I'm a thief. You guys think you know my history, but you don't. And God's people in God's church weeping. I remember about reading about a revival in Korea. They said the floor was wet with tears. We had a pastor's uh, get-together, and the born-again pastors, they all know each other, and you know, and more or less we're friends, and I'm getting together with one of them Tuesday for coffee, and yeah, we get along, and one of them's letting us borrow his church for Tuesday night. We have a good relationship, but often the conversation comes up, why are we not experiencing revival? And uh, a lot of times I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything unless somehow I get poked. Um, somehow I got poked last time. And I was like, guys, we're not experiencing revival because our churches are full of sin and liars, sinners and liars. 
and there's, there's people that are just up to their eyeballs in sin and they're not bringing it to the light and the Holy Spirit's not going to move. That's just the way this works. So uh, Psalm 51 is one of the most beautiful statements of repentance in the whole Bible. Anyone here memorized it? Put your hand up higher. I want to see. Just to encourage other people. Show people it's good to memorize scripture. You're not bragging. You're encouraging people. Yeah. <clears throat> Anybody memorize part of it? See your hands. Come on. Don't be falsely humble. You're lying right now if you're not putting your hands up and you did it. So, such a beautiful passage on repentance. But it's when David went on a dishonesty, this, the sweet psalmist of Israel, you know, the sweet shepherd, you know, etc. He wrote half the psalms. He went on just a, he was like in a demonized rage, lying, 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 lying. And in Psalm 51, he repents because a prophet comes and finally breaks through to him, which is good. What, what good Bible teaching and preaching should be? It should have a little prophetic in it all the time. It should always be attacking your will. Otherwise, it's just information that's swelling up your brain. Should always be attacking you. Well, but the prophet comes and he slays him. He says, You might be king, but you're faking it. And you're lying. And you're a murderer. And you're an adult, you're an adulterer, et cetera, et cetera. And then he writes Psalm 51. So what does it say? He, he's honest about who he is. I was brought forth in sin and iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. You desire truth in the innermost being. Just the deepest, deepest part of you. God wants truth. David was like, you got me. I am a, I'm a deceiver. I am deceived. I am in a demonic haze. I'm under a spell. I'm in a funk. And I'm causing mayhem in the hidden part. You'll make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop. I will be clean. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Because lying is a sin. Lying is satanic. Lying is something we need to repent of. Lying is not some little thing that just helps get us through life. We don't lie to get out of difficult situations or shameful situations. We're people of truth. And if you want to be on God's team and you want to have God's blessing, you want to have God's grace, you've got to be a person of truth. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your faith from, face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. A great old worship song. Anybody remember that one? <clears throat> if I was a better... Some pastors will break out into song, but um, yeah, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Some people are like, I've been a Christian. I just don't have any joy. I don't see what these people up front raising their hands, tears falling down their face and getting on, you know, they're just so full of joy. What is that? I've not experienced that. Could it be because there's lies? Don't cast me away from your presence. And he knows what that looks like because he saw Paul, uh, Saul, King Saul. God took his spirit from Saul. I'm not saying you're born again. We're not going to get all theological here. But all of us who are born again, we've been in darkness. We've been out of fellowship. We've been in a demonic funk. It's not fun. It's much more pleasant in, the pres in his presence, this fullness of joy, like Psalm 16 says. That's why I love worship. If, you, if your spirit is right, it's, it's the best to be in the presence of God. But uh, he said, don't cast me away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Well, part of it, David, was let's, let's get real. Let's get honest. Let's tell people what really happened. Let's 
take responsibility where we need to take responsibility. So, for people that might listen to this in the future, it's one of the big ten. Honesty. Don't lie. That's point one. Point two, God hates it. Hates it. If your spouse hates something, are you going to do it? My wife hates motorcycles and cigarettes. Sorry, some of you struggle with cigarettes. I love you, but her, she's from a medical family. And my son's becoming a doctor too, and now he hates motorcycles. Anybody who's uh, in uh, the medical field hates motorcycles. They call them donor cycles. So quite frankly, if and I'm not, and I'm delighted to be married to my wife, and that's one of the amazing blessings that God gave me that I totally didn't deserve. But if my wife, I won't even say if I was married to somebody else, if she grew up in a different family and she would allow it, I would have a Harley. I think that would be just the coolest thing in the world. I, I'm not, I, I just think, I just think about cruising up the California coast. She hates motorcycles. So uh, maybe she's watching. Hey, hon. Um, she's in Wisconsin. Um, so I'm not going to get a motorcycle. And uh, she also hates cigarettes. And <laughs> anyway, I don't want to even go. There. Well, we were dating. I just thought, I just thought for fun, I'd tell her I smoked. And um, I did, just for fun. And she was like, <laughs> I could have said, you know, I was an axe murderer, and, uh, but I found Jesus and I've repented. She'd go, oh, I understand. The grace of God is sufficient. But um, <laughs> anyway, I'm not, I don't think that big a deal. <laughs> Like uh, we were at a church in the inner city. I know that smoking is one of the hardest things to overcome. And I, I think God would much rather have a church full of smokers than a church full of people with big bitterness. I know that for a fact. That's not even a question in my mind. It's not that big a deal. Some of the greatest Christians in history, Charles Spurgeon smoked and C.S. Lewis smoked the pipe. And so it's not that big a deal. But anyway, all I'm saying is if you know someone hates something, you don't want to do it. God hates it. I got to watch my time. God's name is Truth. That means it's, it's who he is. God moves where there is truth. And if you want him to move in your life again, you need to be a person of truth. The devil's name is liar. The devil's name is liar. That's what Jesus said. You're of your father, the devil. You want to do the desire of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the of lies. Why would we mess with lies if we know it is the essence of Satan? It's like, wake up, church. Again, Tim said, talk about little white lies. There are no little white lies. There's only dark, twisted, destructive, demonic lies. Yeah, but in the Bible, they lied a couple times. So in 1,200 pages, there's two times, clear cut, where people intentionally misled with their words, and it was only because it was either lie or there's going to be a slaughter. So again, if that's not where you are and the lie you're tempted to tell Get away from it. The devil's name is liar. The devil moves where there are lies. That's his first strategy in the garden. 
He lies to Eve. He twists the word of God. He says things that don't correspond to reality. And that's how he pulls you into sin. But it's his strategy at the very beginning, and it's still his strategy. And I, again, I'm a rock skipping over the ocean here. I could have gone into, we could, I could probably speak till the day I die on this subject. I'm just giving you some highlights from Scripture. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He deals in lies. Lies get you to sin. Sin brings death. That's the strategy in a nutshell. Super easy. The devil lies to you. You believe it. Gets you to act in a way, just like Eve did. That's contrary to the will of God, and then it kills things. That's always the way it works. It's always the way it spins out, unless the grace of God intervenes. So we just, you don't want any part of it. Why am I telling, you know, uh, giving the sermon? Because people in our church lie. People, uh, I'm not going to blow the whistle. There's a whole bunch of people on this wake up at five o'clock thing. People say, I'm up, and then they go back to bed. That's satanic. People lie about how much time they spent in the Word, how much time they spent in prayer. Well, if you're going to lie about that, then you're going to lie about uh, how much, how, how many hours you did at work. You know, and who's it going to, who's it going to hurt? Um, and then your life just becomes. You're just kind of like putty in the devil's hand. Any situation you can get in, hey, we need to inject some lies here. And this guy will lie about his quiet time and he'll lie about, you know, did you fall in your Achilles heel sin this week? Or, or like Jason said, keep it so ambiguous that nobody really knows. Yeah, I struggled a little bit this week with lust. What did you do? Yeah, that eating disorder thing. It was bugging me a little bit this week. Oh, you mean you binged every single day and you ate five gallons of Rocky Road and ordered three large pizzas for yourself and then vomited? Or was it like a little gnat that bothered you at work and you made a few phone calls and it passed? Are we truly letting people know what's going on in our souls? Are we lying? If you want to be free, and I have to do this, and please don't wait, don't wait till you get caught because then nobody will believe you. Don't wait till you get caught because nobody will believe you. Yeah, Tad, we caught you uh, embezzling money out of the church till my name's on the account. It's probably pretty easy to do. But uh, if I get caught, then people will, where, where else is he being dishonest? If you just come forward and repent, people are like, wow, they didn't have to do that. I've just found this to be a rule. If you get caught and then you repent, eh, I don't know. I would say the majority of the times it's not real. Repentance, it is damage control. Real repentance is the person that's like, I want to be clean. I want to be holy. I want to get right with God. I don't care if they drive me out of this church. I don't care if I go to prison. I want to be right with God. That's hard. It's humiliating. But it's freeing. So, the devil moves where there are lies. What else? Okay, as a rule, when you lie, you're participating with Satan. And it doesn't matter what your excuse is. So often, with all of our sexual crazy, we lie about where our families come from and who's in our family and why they're there. And um, we got to just get this stuff out on the table. 
or it's going to blow. What else? The devil moves where there are lies. Early church, people were struck dead for lying. Anybody read that in the book of Acts and it really bothered them? Really bothered you? Poor old Ananias and Sapphira, they were just a sweet old couple trying their best. They were trying their best. And all they did, they sold a plot, they sold a house. And let's make it contemporary here in Manhattan, Kansas. They sold it for $225,000 and they told the church they sold it for $200,000. They kept $25,000 for themselves. And God struck them. Actually, in my theology, God let the devil take them out. And we think, look, it's just like I thought, God is so mean. I've studied that passage out, and when the, when the apostles confront them finally, they say that Satan has filled this guy's heart. There's a lot more going on in that story if you put the pieces together. I don't want to have to do another sermon. There's a guy named Barnabas. There's a guy named Ananias. And uh, they're kind of uh, poised for the same position in the church. Barnabas sells a track of land, gives it to the church. People say, wow, that Barnabas is a good guy. He's laying it all down for the kingdom. And Ananias says, hmm, is that how you get position around here? Is that how you get influence in the kingdom? I'm going to copycat Barnabas, sell a plot of land, and tell them the dude is evil, and he could have gotten the same, he could have got the same position Barnabas got in the church, the devil's man. And uh, then put more pieces together. How in the world did Paul make it through the maelstrom of opposition in the church and become the apostle Paul? How did he make it through? Barnabas. God needed that man in that position, and he didn't need a man whose heart Satan had filled, and he could lie at the drop of a hat. He needed this interloper out. It was a satanic conspiracy to sabotage the church. God needed his men in. It's not a little, it looked like a little white lies. There are no little white lies. This sweet old couple, look how mean God is. He struck them dead. God, God was preserving his movement on planet Earth. Because liars in the church are open doors for Satan. And that's just an example. That's why they were struck dead. It's not because God's meanie pants, meanie old God. Like I, what did I, some other teaching, I said, why do we always assume the worst of God when we read the Bible and the best of people? Why do we do that? Why do we always assume the worst of God and the best of people? How do we know Ananias and Sapphira didn't have bodies under their porch that they'd buried, you know? We don't know anything about them except they could be filled with Satan and they could lie to the Holy Spirit and they could deceive the whole church and plan it over bagels in the morning. They were wicked. So anyway, little white lie. God took them out. Just a little something to think about. So you want to tell little white lies? You think they're okay? Save face? 
take the discomfort out of a situation? What else? If you live in lies, hide things, you can't experience love. So, like Jason brought up that uh, verse in 1 John, if we walk in the light, is he's in the light? We have fellowship with one another. Um, real fellowship is one of the greatest things you can have on this side of heaven. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another. Why? So your joy will be full. So if you cannot be honest about who you are with other human beings, you will not experience that real flow of love that we're supposed to be experiencing and the world doesn't really know anything about. I'm not talking about romance and being drunk. Actually, romantic love is a temporary insanity that you have to get over eventually. It really is. It's wonderful and it's fun and it's part of God's creation, but it's a temporary insanity because you like are blind to all of their flaws. Well, that's not. Real love is I know your flaws and I'd still die for you. That's real love. So, I mean, I'm not knocking romantic love. It's a wonderful thing. But if you guys think if you guys think that because you get smitten, shot with Cupid's arrow, you know, when, when you're 22 years old and you just like to stare at the person for like three hours in a coffee shop, that that's what you're going to be doing in 10 years. You're ridiculous. So, in order to experience real love, you have to be really known. And if someone knows you for real, and they still say, I love you, I still want to go on vacation with you, I still want to have you over for dinner, I still want to meet in the morning, I still want to disciple you, actually, I want to help you work through that darkness, I know that sin, maybe they'll say, I've got a problem there too, and we can help each other out. Wow, this person knows all my warts and wrinkles, and I was going to put zits in that, but I didn't, because that would be too. But they know all of my gross and they love me. He really loves me. She really loves me. You can't experience it that if you're a liar. Because if they do have affections towards you, it's toward this lie. This person you created that doesn't even exist. The person with no struggles. The person with no past. That's who they love, and you know it. And you're driving home in your car and say, they don't really love me. I'm not even going to go to that church anymore. No one, no one really loves me. Well, you've never let them know who you were. You never gave them a chance. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you're certainly not going to be experiencing God's love because you're too muddled in the head to obey him and stop lying. And you and God have problems because you're a liar. So you're not experiencing God's love. You're not experiencing love this way. And truth is the key to get out there and get free and open up the channel between you and God and open up the channel between you and other people. And yes, it's hard. It's hard. But as I look back over my life, I say, man, I've tried to do this. From the time I was 19 years old, I'll be honest here. Sitting in a group of guys at Bible college, and one of them is like, All right, guys, I'm just gonna have to tell you guys, you're probably gonna walk, you're probably gonna tell the dean he's gonna throw me out of Bible college, but I struggle with pornography. And everybody's like, Real, you too? Holy cow. Like the whole group's like, we all do. You know, and it's like, you know, it's but from that day are are some, you know, okay, I wanna 
I never told you this before, but I have homosexual thoughts. You're probably not going to want me in your church anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, we a bunch of people in our church have that struggle. Or, you know, someone's like, you're not going to love me anymore if I tell you this. But back in the day, even after I was saved, I was in darkness and this guy got me pregnant. I had an abortion and I scared around. I can't believe anybody loves me. Hey, we love you. You're forgiven. Have you met sister so-and-so or sister so-and-so? Same thing. You're not a freak. There's nothing that surprises God. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing he didn't see coming. And again, probably most shame, I'm not going to look at anybody, but this whole area of our sexuality, the most shame there. But if now somebody, this is an important point. Matt brought it up. Do you tell everything to everybody? No, absolutely not. But you don't have anything riding on your shoulders going, if they only knew. I just, you, you know that you've, you've adequately been honest with who you need to talk to. When there's no fear, someone's going to call your spouse or call your friends or call your boss and say, did you know so-and-so did such and such? Yeah, pretty much. Knew all about it. Talked through this like 10 years ago with them and... We pray about it pretty regularly because, you know, there's call your spouse. Did you know that your husband did such and such back in the day? Yeah, kind of, kind of did. This is where uh, I mention her a lot because she's pretty free. Uh, Nikki. And she was not a nice person before she was saved. But she'll tell you all about it. She will tell you all about it. And you're like, oh, Nikki, back off, slow down. You know, you don't want to. But her first date with Richard and and they have one of the seriously about as good a marriage of a young couple as I've ever seen. Very peaceful. They just they fit together very well. Uh, on one of their first dates, they basically said, "Hey, if we're going to move forward, there's some things about me you better know." You wait three years into the marriage to drop that bomb. Good luck, my friend. So they basically just kind of blah all over the table at some Denny's or something. And then Richard gave me a call and he said, hey, I don't know what to do with this. And I said, well, if you can live with it and you love her, move forward and don't ever bring it up again. Work it through. She's been honest with you. And if you can't deal with it, walk away because you don't you've got to let it go. And he said, and he prayed through and he said, look, I love her. I can forgive her. I can, you know, whatever. But it's never going to come up. They don't know skeletons in their closet, whatever. So you don't have to tell everybody everything, but you can't have anything riding on your shoulders. Satan tormenting you. Oh, if only the church knew. Oh, if only this person you're dating. Oh, if only your spouse knew. If only your kids knew. I told my kids I dabbled in drugs and I drank and I did a lot of stupid stuff and I got arrested when they were old enough to start talking. I didn't want them to think I was perfect. So you don't need to tell everybody every, anything, uh, everything. <laughs> but uh, if you're hiding from everybody, you're in bondage. The appropriate people need to know because you need healing, you need freedom, um, and you can't be running. And what's interesting about the Bible is, man, why do they go into such graphic detail? You know, David and Bathsheba and the murder and stupid Abraham giving his wife to the Pharaoh you know, and then the Abimelech and these guys just blowing it and lying and cheating and stealing. And why do they just lay it all out there? Because we need to be real. 
And all the great heroes of scripture, a lot of them did stupid things. Elijah, the prophet, suicidal. Come on, couldn't you just left out that detail? Nope. Because it's, it's what he was. It's what made him who he was. He had, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. So, anyhow, if you lie, you can't experience real Love, because love is acceptance. And you put it out there, and you say, <laughs> you're pretty bad, man, but I love you, and praise God for his grace. And if God can love you, I can love you. Put forward the real you, not a false you. Putting forward the false you, that's why you don't feel loved. What else do we got? True freedom comes through truth. And then uh, this made me think of Psalm 32, which some people think David also wrote during the whole Bathsheba debacle. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When David came clean about his sin, he put it in the Bible and he put his songs in the Bible. When I kept silent, some of your Bibles will have in parentheses uh, a little addition there about my sin, but he's just carrying it all around himself. When I kept silent, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Been there? Ever been there? You're caught in sin and you don't want anybody to know and you're trapped through my groaning. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. This is how you feel when, when there's just a lot of shame and guilt and deception. And, you know, some emotions that can hit you. You can become frantic. You can become depressed, etc. I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. This was something I was thinking of when Jason was talking. People were like, I'll tell God, I just won't tell everybody else. Okay. I'll tell the truth to God and I'll lie to everybody else and then me and God will be okay. No, because you're still lying. Oh, darn, you kind of trapped you there, didn't I? You can't be right with God and be lying to us about who you are and where you've been. And again, I don't want to know. If God didn't tell you to tell me, then you don't have to. But you can't not tell anyone. You have to be known. And you have to not be haunted by the things in your past or your present struggles. And when you fall, somebody else has to know. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be, be healed. So I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I didn't hide. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Let everyone who is godly, and that's that word, hesed, Cool. It's the word hesed turned into an adjective, turned into a noun, which applies to people that really know God and they look like God. Let the hesed pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, what's the flood of great waters come from? Your sin. They won't reach him. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Our deliverance will come when we're people of truth. The Holy Spirit will rock this place. And more people will get saved and you'll have more answers to prayer and more peace and more joy and you'll be the person up on the front row crying with your hands in the air if you will break up this log jam. This is the problem in our church. I'm not saying everybody's got it, but a lot of people 
It's been coming to light lately, and uh, we need to have no part of lying. It's demonic. It's satanic. It's the devil's name. Our God is a God of truth. He he operates in the realm of truth. His grace flows when we speak about things as they really are, and we reveal to people who we really are, where we've been, what we presently struggle with, um, and say, look, if they can't handle it, they don't want me. And if they don't want me, I'm going to go find a place where people do want sinners. I had a pastor tell me one side time, oh, we're in the same town. God's called you to deal with the broken people, and he's called the more together people to my church. And I said, no, the people in my church tell the truth, and the people in your church lie. There are no shiny people. There aren't any. And my mom also, she watches, and she says, your people just go up to Mike and just tell about their failures and all this. Like, yeah, because we will love them. And you can't stay down. You can't, you know, I'm committing immorality and I'm staying here. It's like, no, you, you know, it's repent, get back on your feet, walk in righteousness, holiness, purity. But you can fall, but don't stay down. We're going to help you get back up. And, and there's no, if you're not dead, God still has big plans for you. That's kind of my, that's a thesis that I have not found proven false yet. Um, if, if you're not dead, there's still grace available. There's still good fruit you can bear. So anyway, I really, oh, application. Yeah, because we're doing this, we're doing this uh, kind of checking each other's teaching. I said, you got to have a clear application. Okay, so let's do our application here. Commit to truth today. So I'm going to be a person of truth. If anybody says God's calling me to a different church, or suddenly every Sunday you start calling up sick, I'm going to say that person had an issue with lying and they're not dealing with it. There's a good chance that's what's going on. A lot of people want to have their ears tickled. They want to go to the big church where all the glam is and all the good-looking people are and all the power people are. They don't want the Holy Spirit to nail them. But God wants to set you free. Commit today to be a person of truth. Just tell God, I want to be a person of truth, no matter what the cost. Make known your real past. Where did you come from? What have you done? The Apostle Paul lays it out in the epistles. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. I was the chief of sinners. Stop hiding. You know, those of us who are older, there's a show, Leave it to Beaver. There's this perfect little family and this perfect little boy in this perfect little town. And, you know, it's like, yeah, that was my house. Like, no, I grew up in a bunch of, you know, home with a bunch of brain-eating zombies, and I was one of them. And we were crazy, and we were demonized, and we were gross, and we were disgusting, and we committed sin, and but I want Jesus and I want out. Where'd you come from? Be real about it. Make known your present struggles. Who in here has an Achilles heel? And if you're going to sin this week, you know where you're going to sin. You've got, you've got a sin problem, and as long as you've walked with Jesus, it can flare up. Who's got one of those? Okay, a few more of you lying out there. Okay, who knows about it? Who holds you accountable to it? Who do you tell? <laughs> a, little, a little grammar lesson here. It's not nip it in the butt. It's nip it in the bud. Okay? If you do any tree trimming, little buds come out, um, and they're tiny. And if you nip it, you won't get a massive branch. So 
Who is around you that knows your Achilles heel, knows what will do you in, and is always there to help you nip it in the bud? Do you have those people? If you don't, you probably have a tree-sized problem in your life that can still be dealt with, but it's much easier, much more manageable when you surround yourself with people that know your present struggles. Uh, It's funny, I went out and visited uh, (laughs) uh, someone this week, and um, they Gave me some firewood. Bless you, Levi. Uh, but right when I pulled up in their driveway, um, I got a text and said that his wife wanted to be in a CD group. That's part of what the CD groups are, core discipleship groups. People who are up in your business, in your face, they know what your Achilles heel is so you don't blow things up. Who knows your present struggles? Maybe you need to commit to a CD group or a discipleship relationship that's honest. Let others know when you fall. That's also a helpful thing of a CD group. Let them know when you fall because that's what the little bud coming off the branch is. You know, you got a, you got an image problem, an eating disorder. Uh, you had suicidal tendencies in the past. You're tempted by homosexuality or like 80, 90% of all guys, pornography is a temptation for you. When that little bud pops out there, bam, you, you know how to nip that off so that you're not... I used to always say in my previous church, you don't wake up under a bridge in Toledo with your whole life, you know, a smoking crater where your life used to be because it never got a chance to let others know when you fall. So commit to truth, to be a person of truth, because God is a God of truth. We're his people. We're people of truth. Make known your real past. Where'd you come from? What have you been through? How'd you get here? Let people know your present struggles. Let others know when you fall. So anyway, it was interesting. I pulled up in the driveway and then I got this text that she wanted to join the CD group. But that's why we, that's one of the main reasons we do that, so that we can hold the truth, be people of truth, so we can be blessed. So, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking back. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. I've had a really fun ride, really, really fun. Lots of answers to prayer, lots of miracles. You guys are a lot of the miracles. It's been great. I've, I've loved it. Um, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon, but I'm just doing a lot of, you know, kind of assessment. And one of the reasons I think that really kept the channel open. Have I failed? Yep. Have I done things I'm ashamed of? Yep. Um, my wife knows about them. My friends know about them. They know what my Achilles heel is, et cetera. I think, but one, one of the things was that I've, I've really striven to be a person of truth. So I hope uh, you guys make that same commitment. God doesn't have favorites. Um, and for some of you, it's going to be hard. That's why revival is being with a lot of tears. It's hard. But once you get there, it's, it's, it's much easier to maintain it if you make the decision to really push in. So, um, yeah, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And then we'll break up like we usually do. And those who want to stay in here in fellowship uh, and uh, help set up the tables, please do that. And then in about five minutes, we'll meet in the other room over there where the kids are. Please go get your kids so that the room is cleared out. And we'll pray. And if this is an issue for you, Come be honest about it. Let this be where you start. Even if you're not willing to spill it all out, say, you know what? This has touched my heart. I got some work to do here. Make that your request. Can you pray for me that God would help me to sort this out? Make some kind of movement towards God in this area. Things do not sort themselves out. You have to make choices. You have to make hard choices. So I'm going to pray and then, yeah, we'll uh, break up. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a God of truth. Jesus, thank you that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're the spirit of truth. 
Um, thank you that there's always grace. There's always love. There's always forgiveness. You can redeem anything. There's nothing that's out of control. There's nothing that you can't turn on its head and turn it into glory and good and, and something for your glory and to benefit us. Give us the courage to be people of truth so that you can work and you can move in our midst. And I pray for people, Lord, who even are telling the smallest lies that we've learned to hate it. You hate it. Teach us to hate it so that we can be uh, instruments of your grace to this world. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.